What beliefs do you hold really dear? What beliefs matter a lot to you? Sometimes it might be kind of more on the silly end of your sports team is the, is the best team that there is, and that might be really important to you. It might be that, a, uh, and some of you are like, that's not silly. What are you talking about? That's the most intense that there is. Um, right, so uh, it might be kind of things like that. It might be other beliefs. It might be political beliefs. It might be just ways that you raise your kids. There can be a lot of different kinds of beliefs that we hold really dear. What beliefs are you willing to stand up for? to fight for, to maybe even sacrifice for, and I don't necessarily mean death, but that you would sacrifice for because these beliefs, these convictions matter deeply to you. I love, and I don't know if you are like this or not, but I love stories like this, whether those are true stories kind of in um, popular culture, things that have happened, or whether they're movies or literature. I love the stories that show people willing to stand up for their beliefs, fight for their beliefs, sacrifice for their beliefs. A, A very famous image, one of the most iconic images of all time from Tiananmen Square in China. I believe this is 1989. There's an individual standing here. I think you can probably see it. Uh, and, and there's this kind of this um, you know, line of tanks, and he's standing there. And that represents really well this idea of I'm willing to stand up for what I believe in. I'm willing to stand up for my convictions. Uh, this is a film called The Life of Emile Zola. It's based on a true story. It won the Academy Award for Best Picture in 1937. I'm kind of a list junkie, so right now I'm working my way through all the Best Picture winners um, for the, from the last, uh, I think the first one was 27, so almost 100 years. So I'm working my way through that. Some of them, uh, we watched this as a family a couple weeks ago, and this is a story, I won't you know, recap the whole thing for you, but it's a story about a man that was falsely convicted. He was, a, he was falsely convicted in the French government and sent to prison, even though they knew he was innocent, but they didn't want the government to look bad. I know things like that don't happen anymore, but, uh, you know, they were so backwoods back then. And, uh, and then this man, Emile Zola, is an author, and he stands up willing to, to fight for truth and fight for this man's cause. And he actually is convicted as guilty since he fights against the government and says, this man is innocent, but that he would stand up for his beliefs, that he would stand up for an innocent man, that he was willing to go to prison himself and ended up actually convicted. All of this shows a man willing to stand up for what's right, his convictions. Or from history, if you know the story of William Wilberforce, who gave his life to ending the slave trade and then to ending slavery. Seeing Really, the, the day that he died is the day that slavery was finally abolished in Great Britain. And he fought his whole life willing to stand against accusations, willing to stand against criticism, willing to stand against his peers, willing to sacrifice many things and privileged positions that he could have gotten, but fought against this because he knew what was right and was willing to lay it all on the line for his convictions. And then while I was on, this is from Encyclopedia Britannica, while I was on this, a pop-up came up and said, truth needs a champion, will it be you? Which by that they meant, will I stop my ad blocker and, or donate? And I did not do that. I am not the champion that truth needs, apparently. Um, but we all, we all have certain convictions. 
And I don't know if you like this, these kinds of stories. I, I love stories of people that are willing to stand up, that are willing to operate out of conviction. And any, any change, any change that happens in our life, any change that happens in the people's lives around us or that ends up happening in the world, it takes people willing to stand with conviction. That is what it takes. And these kind of stories might inspire you. Probably you uh, would be very cold-hearted to sit through something, to watch a, a movie like that or read something like that and just go, eh, who cares? Big whoop. You fought for the end of slavery. I mean, th those kinds of stories generally inspire us. They generally move us. But it's never easy, right? It's never easy to stand against cultural pressure. It's never easy to stand up for what is right and what our convictions are when there's so much kind of going against us and so much loss that might come for risking those convictions. And it's never easy. Usually people are offended by people that are willing to stand in their convictions. Usually there is a cost when we stand with conviction. So while it might inspire, it is Never easy. And this is true for all sorts of areas. It's true in Tiananmen Square and with slavery and with uh, justice for an individual wrongly accused. But it's also true in our faith. It's also true in our faith. And it's getting harder in a lot of ways in our country, in our city, to be a Christian in a lot of ways. It can look really silly to some people. It can look harmful to people. Your beliefs and your faith are not just kind of wrong People also think that they are harmful, that it is harmful for society. It's harmful for individuals. You might be told that you are on the wrong side of history or just popular opinion. Your beliefs, your faith might be told to be repressive and just kind of old and outdated, which means it's harder. It's harder to keep our faith. It's harder to keep a consistency with our faith. It's harder to live consistent with what our beliefs are. It's easier to conform. It's easier to adapt. It's easier to give in. It becomes harder and harder to share our faith or just be honest with others about our faith. When that might feel like you're signing up to say, yes, I am a repressive bigot. That's who I am. Nice to meet you. It's harder to just be honest about what you believe and who you are. And it's hard even within the church, I'm kind of talking a little bit outside of the church, but even within the church, it can be hard, to be honest. It can be hard to share our convictions in our beliefs because as more of the outside blends into the inside of the church, it becomes more and more difficult. But we want to live with conviction. We want that. All of us want to be people that live with conviction in our life. One of my uh, newer favorite authors is a woman uh, who won Christianity Today's Book of the Year Award last year. And on Twitter, she had kind of just posted this little snapshot that I, I wanted to show you because um, it's not necessarily these world famous people, Tiananmen Square and uh, someone on the, the grand stage that movies are made of, but just a small little snapshot that show us our lives matter too, that our lives and our convictions, and especially when it comes to faith, matter too. So let me just show you this briefly. This is Rebecca McLaughlin. If you have not read her book, Confronting Christianity, it's excellent. Highly recommend. She says this, my 11-year-old started middle school a couple of weeks ago. I asked her if she knew of any other Christians, and she mentioned one girl in her year. I asked how she knew. 
She said there had been an icebreaker where you wrote down three things about yourself and then everyone stood up. For those of you that maybe are in middle school, I know my kids have done something like this. The teacher read out the first person's first thing. If it wasn't true of you, then you sat down. My daughter's first thing was, I am a Christian. When the teacher read that out, everyone sat down except her. Imagine that in a classroom and the pressure that that would even cause. And one other girl. I was so deeply proud of her and I had a hard time being cool. I want to be like her when I grow up. I want the first thing that's true of me to be that I'm a Christian and I want to stand when everyone else around me sits down. And I want to find the other Christian in the room and pray with her that God will call the other people in. Even just this little snapshot is really what we're talking about. The conviction to stand. The conviction, whether a movie gets made about your life or whether you are wrongly imprisoned or whether maybe your mom just tweets about you. But the conviction to stand. To operate in conviction. What if, despite the pressure that we feel, whether that's culturally or internally or from even friends and family, what if the fear that we feel of what might happen, what might happen in a relationship, what might happen in work, what might happen, what might the cost be? What if pressure and fear didn't rule us, but we were able to live with conviction? What if we could live with conviction, live with a grounding? We know what we believe, we know who we are, and we're able to live authentically, not trying to conform in certain situations, not trying to say certain things at certain times, but able to live authentically with grace, not with a haughty or proud spirit, but with graciousness. What if we could do that? How do we live with conviction like that? It matters. Only here do you change. Only here do people around you change. Only here does the world change. Your life matters, and a part of that is that your conviction and the ability to live with conviction matters. So how do we, how do, we do that? How do we live with conviction? That's what we're going to explore today, and Jesus is going to speak into this and, and to discover how we live with conviction, we're going to look at what is difficult about it and what it actually looks like and what can build our ability in this way. So let's start with this. Why is it difficult to live with conviction? There might already be things kind of going through your mind as we have set this up, but why is it difficult to live with conviction? And, and here's why. We want to get along with people. Right? Now, I know some of you might kind of be a little more on the, the I don't know how to say it, just you're, you might like to ruffle feathers a little bit. You like to argue a little bit. You know who you are. The people next to you know who you are, right? But most of us want to be at peace. We want to be at peace. And even if you like to kind of ruffle feathers a little bit, really, we, we all want to be at peace. We don't like getting in conflict. We don't like to be at odds with people. And we, we even sometimes operate with kind of the messages around us, which are, if you think about today, how much we hate peace, I mean, excuse me, how much we love peace and hate conflict, that these kinds of messages are so ingrained in our world, things like this, hey, it might be true for you, but that doesn't mean it's true for me. That kind of statement is a way to say, let's just stay at peace, where even truth is negotiable. And speak your truth, I'll speak my truth. Let's not be judged. Let's not judge each other. All of those things are saying, let's keep 
peace, right? We want to be liked. We don't want to be in conflict. It's probably the, some, some of the times that you most have kind of felt a pit in your stomach of just like, ugh, is over a difficult conversation or a conflict that you know is going to happen. We don't like that. And even as Christians, we, we are called to be peacemakers, so there's, I'm not just saying it's, it's pressure outside. Like we want to be people that are about peace. We want to love our enemies. We want to be gracious and kind. We, we want those things, right? We want to represent Jesus well and not be that guy or that girl that's, oh yeah, don't bring up that with them. They're just, we don't want, we want to be light. We want to be salt. We, we want to be gracious. We want all of those things. Where, where do you right now in your life kind of feel some of that tension where you want peace? You don't want to ruffle any feathers. You don't want any conflict. It's difficult to live with conviction because we want to get along. We want to be at peace. But listen, Jesus is against peace. And I'll just say that again, because that probably is not what you expected to hear at church. Jesus is against peace. Let's look at what Jesus says. This is why it creates, this is why it creates such a difficulty for us. Here's what Jesus says. I came to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already set ablaze. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how it consumes me until it is finished. Here it is. Do you think that I came here to bring peace on the earth? And all Christians would go, yes, of course you have. We love Christmas. We love, my coffee mug says. No, I tell you, but rather division. What? From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Wait, Jesus, you came to divide families? That's not, huh? This is not the Jesus that I expected. They will be divided. Father against son. Son against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Son-in-laws are safe. But everybody else, divided. This is what Jesus says he came to do. Do you think that I came to bring peace on the earth? No. Now listen, this is... Very difficult. It's difficult to live with conviction because we want peace. We want to get along. But Jesus is against peace. He says he came to divide. He says he came to bring division. Now, there is a sense, and I'm not going to talk too much about it because I don't want to just spend my whole sermon explaining the other side of things, but there is a sense, and even in the book of Luke, which we have been going through, where Jesus is said to bring peace and be the prince of peace, and at his birth it was announced that there will be peace on earth, okay? So it's not like you've had a totally crazy idea of Jesus, but there's different versions of peace. Jesus comes to bring an ultimate peace on the earth when, when he returns. Jesus comes to bring peace between man and God. Jesus comes to bring peace between, between other people as we're reconciled to God. He does create peace among his people. So there is all sorts of ways that Jesus comes to bring peace, but that's not what this sermon is about. Jesus says he is against peace and that he comes to divide. He comes to bring division. And those can be painful words, but listen, we always divide. 
we always divide things. You, you're, we're doing this all the time. My kids, we oftentimes will have a, a fruit bowl, in, uh, like, uh, for example, grapes in our fridge. We'll have a bowl of grapes, and right when you buy the grapes, especially the red ones, green ones, I think that was kind of, I think those were like an accident. God was, those were the rough draft for the red grapes, but there's, there's grapes in the fridge, right? And, and the first day, they're all gone. They're all, they're, they're great, right? Like several from the top. But then, as a week goes by, the, my kids especially start to divide them and go, eh, not that one, I'll take this one. Not this one, I'll take this one. And at the end, there's really just a bowl of grapes that's all kind of mushed and kind of bruised and a little brown, and they're not great grapes, right? We divide. We went to, uh, my mom's in town, we went to a gold mine tour down in Cripple Creek. If you've never done it, it's actually really, really awesome. Uh, you go 1,000 feet down into this gold mine um, we're all rich now, but we, uh, we came back. You know, they give you like a speck of gold that's worth, I don't know, a penny or something. Um, but they told a story about a guy that uh, originally had access. I can't remember if he owned that mine or had access to that mine or was the first kind of person there that was working. And he was always drunk. He was just constantly drunk. And so when he was dividing the gold that he found, he would find fool's gold, which is not real gold, but it kind of looks like gold, and then real gold. But as he was dividing, he would always send the fool's gold in to kind of get checked. And they ended up calling him Crazy Bob or something like that because he was always drunk and wasn't able to divide properly. So he just kept saying, here's gold, here's gold, and it was always fool's gold. And it wasn't until several, several times or several years later that finally he sent the right gold in. And then they're like, oh, okay, there is gold there. And it became this whole mine and multi-million dollar operation. We're always dividing, whether that's grapes or fool's gold and positive gold. We're dividing between jobs. Some of you are looking for choices. And there's all, you could probably get a job tomorrow if you wanted to. But you're dividing and saying, okay, not these ones. I'm interested in these ones. For those of you looking for houses, you're dividing. You meet with a real estate agent or you do it yourself and you say, not these ones. I need more than one bathroom. I need these. I'm interested in these ones. And you kind of build filters and lists. We're doing it with choices, whether that's when you vote or when you're just deciding on ethical things in your life. You're saying, okay, these things are okay. These things are not okay. So we are constantly dividing, right? We're constantly making choices and doing division. And what we do when we do that is saying two things. We're saying, number one, I want what is good. I want what is right. I want what is true. I want what is beautiful. Whether that's a house or an ethical choice or grape. We're saying, I want what is good, true, right, and beautiful. And then the second thing that we are saying is there's some standard that is judging that. There's some standard. You have some sort of criteria in your head for the kind of job that you're looking for, that you are judging by. You have some sort of standard that you are judging by on what kind of house. So there's, I want what's good, right, true, and beautiful, and there's some standard that I'm judging by. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that he wants and is right now dividing between true, good, right, and beautiful. He is saying, I want what is true, good, right, and beautiful. And right now, through my words and through my message, I am dividing people who will align with that and who won't. And one day in the future, I will divide ultimately between that. 
So Jesus is saying the same thing. You and I divide all the time. So when Jesus says he is coming to bring division, he is saying, I am coming to separate out that which is true, good, right, and beautiful. When I preach, when I speak, when I tell people who I am and what I came to do, those that align with that are separating themselves into this pile that I am dividing of what is true, good, right, and beautiful. And secondly, Jesus is saying that he has the authority to judge those things, that he is the criteria by which that is judged. We divide all the time, and we are saying we want what's true, good, right, and beautiful, and there's some standard that it's judged by. When Jesus says he didn't just come to bring peace, but he came to divide, he is saying there are things that are good and right, and you can align with that when you align with me. And I am the standard by which it is Judged. I'm the one with the wisdom. I'm the one with the authority. Jesus is against any kind of peace that seeks to not allow division. Think about this, because I know it might still kind of be hard. Jesus is against any kind of peace that seeks to mesh rotten fruit with good fruit. You wouldn't be happy if I did that, if you came over to my house and I said, yeah, from the last three weeks, here's all the rotten grapes that were left over, and then here's some fresh grapes, and I'm just going to mix them all up and serve it to you. You would say, I'd like you to divide that which is rotten away. Jesus is against any kind of peace that seeks to allow injustice and justice to coexist. He's against any kind of peace that allows truth and error to coexist. He's against any kind of peace that allows that which is unethical and that which is ethical to coexist. That which is against God and that which is for God to coexist. He's against any kind of false peace that seeks to allow right and wrong together. That it seeks to allow holiness and unholiness together. He's against any kind of peace that just says, let's just in the name of peace keep it all here when really... That's, that's wrong, to have truth and false, to have beliefs that are wrong and beliefs that are right and things that mistreat people and things that are good for people all put in the same pile. And it might sound harsh, but it's actually beautiful because what Jesus is saying is that when he works, when he does the dividing, he's not crazy Bob. When Jesus works, when he is done, only life is left, not death. Only joy is left, not sorrow. Only truth is left, not falsity. Only justice is left, not injustice. Only true peace is left, not conflict. Jesus is saying, when I work, when I do the dividing, that's all that's left. So, it's difficult to live with conviction because we want to get along. But Jesus is against peace. Peace is incompatible with a loyalty to Jesus. Peace is incompatible with a total allowance of Jesus being the one that divides. Listen, if Jesus is just, and, and listen, I don't know what your um, kind of version of God is, but if God or Jesus is just kind of this this being or this person that only wants to bring hope into your life, only wants to bring comfort into your life, only wants to kind of help the, the bad feelings that you have, like a really good therapist. 
If Jesus is only somebody that brings inspiration into your life, maybe even that might be, man, I come to church because I need to get inspired. If Jesus is only someone that kind of brings inspiration into your life, he's only someone that really just makes you feel good and accepted, then this is hard to get. It's hard to grasp. It doesn't really make sense because this is a Jesus saying, you think I came to bring peace? No. Like, oh, wait a minute. This is hard to get if our vision of God is just kind of someone that's there to make us feel good. He's not. Jesus is ultimate reality. He's ultimate reality. That's what he is claiming here, right? Someone that speaks like this is saying, I am ultimate reality. I am in the position of dividing what is good and bad. I am in the position of, I mean, if I told you, I've come to divide your family. I've come to put child against mother, to put, to put I mean, to put brother against sister. You, you would go, something is wrong. That's obviously a cult, right? So when somebody claims that, they are either a psycho or he's the savior. He is either totally bonkers or he is actually the one with the authority and all wisdom and all goodness to judge and divide, even in such a way that's very painful, that causes division in families. Peace is incompatible with loyalty to him. If we are with him, then it means we will lose peace. If we align ourselves with Jesus, we will lose peace because he's saying, I came to divide which means you will feel at times in your life, obviously the extreme end for our brothers and sisters in other places in the world is being persecuted for their faith, killed for their faith. This is happening all the time. Every single day, Christians are dying for what they believe. Every single day. That's not something that happened a long time ago. Every single day, Christians are dying for this. Now, here in Denver, it's probably not that but we experience people disliking us for our faith convictions. We experience people mocking us and, what, and the things that we believe. We experience maybe people trying to appeal to us. Come on, just it's not that big of a deal. Why do you have to hold so tightly to these things? Why do you have to be so uptight? Why do you have to be so judgmental? We have, come on, don't you, don't you want to get along? Don't you want to... Be loving, don't you want to? I thought Jesus said that we were supposed to not judge. I thought Jesus, I thought, don't you want to? We've experienced appeals from people for peace to just get along. We experience pressure, we experience being disliked. Have you felt this? Whether that's with family, which is what Jesus specifically is talking about, can be the hardest with those closest to us, or with friends. We're at your work. We're at school. We might not experience intense persecution, but if we are with Jesus and loyal to him, he says, in this context, he's against peace. He wants us to align with him. He wants us to align with him in every area of our life, in our thinking, in our feeling, in our doing. And that creates attention. It's difficult to live with conviction because we want to get along. We want to be at peace. Jesus says he's against 
peace. And therefore, if we align with him, it's incompatible. It's incompatible. At the same time, what is true is that if we are divided and aligned with him, it brings us near him. Because if we are saying, okay, Jesus, I am going to be divided with you and loyal to you and aligned with you, that creates a closeness. That creates a unity with him, and it creates a unity with other people that are aligned with him. He creates a new community. That's part of what the church is, is a new community of people that have been aligned most by him. It's difficult to live with conviction because of these warring tensions that we experience. So what does it actually look like then? That's kind of the difficulty of it. But what does it actually look like? What does it look like to live with conviction in our life? Here's the next thing that Jesus says, and he kind of gives these two different images. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say, a storm is coming. And so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hands you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. What does living with conviction look like? There's several things we can see from this. Jesus says that these people know the weather, right? They didn't have, uh, they didn't have apps that just say, what's the weather? And you just look and see what's going to happen, and you can see every hour what's going to happen. They didn't have that. They were smarter than us. They could look, they could feel the wind and say, yep, at about 3 o'clock there's going to be rain. They could see the clouds. They, they knew the weather. They knew how to interpret the weather. Some of you are really good at this, right? And, it, and you got to be on your toes in Colorado because it's like, oh, it's 80 degrees. Nope, now it's snowing. That's how Colorado is. So if you're new, welcome. And, that, and they were good at this. They knew how to interpret the weather. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. You and I have confidence in many things. We know how to interpret many things. You understand deeply many things and different Ones of us, that's, that's different kinds of things. Some of you are really into sports, and you understand it. You can explain all the games and all the, the stats and all the different things and all the different plays and all the different swingings and throwings. You get all of that. You understand it deeply, like I do, clearly. You get it, right? Others of you, just whatever your career is. Some of you are lawyers. Some of you are physical therapists. Some of you are doing software coding things with zeros and ones. Some of you are teachers, and you understand your field really well, right? You have studied for it. You understand it. You get it. You can interpret it. But we can miss what matters most. That's what Jesus is saying. You can, you can look at the weather and understand all of it, but you don't know how to interpret this present time, which by that what he's meaning is you're missing me. You're not interpreting rightly me and everything that you've seen me do and all the things that I've said, and, and you're missing me. You understand the weather. You've got a total grasp on it. You might understand your career. You might understand your, your hobbies. You might have a total grasp on that and yet miss what matters 
most. Miss Jesus, who he is. Not be sure of him. Listen, I'm not just talking about salvation. Most of you are probably Christians. Some of you are exploring faith. But I'm not just talking about salvation and not salvation. We can be masters at certain things and yet not have deep convictions about the Bible. Not have deep convictions about our faith. Not have deep convictions about our beliefs and what has been handed down to us. Do you have deep convictions from God's word? Do you have deep convictions about who Jesus is and what he has said and what he calls us to do? Do you take the same amount of time? Really, it should be more, but do you take the same amount of time knowing him, interpreting him, knowing him and being resolute on that, knowing your faith that you say is yours, knowing it, believing it, understanding it, being rooted in it. Do you have deep conviction? This should be our deepest convictions. We should not be masters in engineering and masters in our our education and masters in our hobbies and yet be kind of loose in our beliefs and convictions. This should be what is most important. It should be what matters most to us because without that, we are easily swayed. It would be hard for me to convince. We'll just use an example. Dion is a rabid Raiders fan, which all Raiders fans are, right? That's how a true Raiders fan is like that. It would be hard for me to convince him to become a Seahawks fan. This person in the jersey. It would be hard to convince. It would be hard for me to sway him. But listen, a lot of times in our life, our convictions about God are not that deep. They're not that rooted. It would be hard, whatever your career is, if, and, and you know a lot about it, right? If you're a software engineer, it'd be hard for me to convince you that actually everything you've learned is false. It would be hard for me to convince you, no, nah, you learned to code the wrong way. This is actually the right way. That's not actually the way to do it. It would be hard for me to convince you of that. But a lot of times in our faith, our roots don't go deep. And so when we suffer, then we all of a sudden say, I don't know what I believe anymore. I thought God was good. I'm not sure if he is anymore. I thought God cared for me. I'm not sure if he does anymore. A lot of times when all of a sudden a choice that we are faced with, we might have said, I believe God, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. But then when the rubber meets the road with a particular, listen, it's not obedience until you have to do something that you don't really want to do. Otherwise, it's just you agreeing. But when the rubber meets the road and you're called to be honest in a difficult situation, you're called to a sexual ethic that is not what you want to do. You're called to boldness. You're called to all sorts of things. You're called to generosity. You're called to certain things. And when the rubber meets the road, your convictions aren't actually that deep. When there's a difficult choice to make. Or when someone else starts to have a conversation with you and challenge you. Or there's kind of an inspirational story or some appeal that's made. Listen, all the time in movies and in literature and in music, they are presenting things to us that tug at our heartstrings. That is easy to then go, yeah, I never thought about it like that. That's the problem. The problem is that we are masters at interpreting the weather or whatever particular thing, but miss what matters most. We miss what matters most. And just listen, from my heart, 
if you, if you really get anything today from my heart as a pastor to you, you have to have conviction. You have to. You will be blown away if not. If your convictions are not deeply rooted, what Jesus is saying, you'll be blown away by something. Something will convince you, appeal to you, happen to you, and then no change happens. It takes conviction to create change in our life. It takes conviction to create change in the lives of people's lives around us. It takes conviction to bring change in the world, like the life of Emile Zola or Tiananmen Square or William Wilberforce it takes con- or the 11-year-old girl. It takes conviction. And Jesus is saying we can so easily understand everything else and miss what matters most. Your convictions matter deeply. And here's another thing on this. He says that the reason that we don't have conviction, the reason we don't have conviction is not just we don't have enough information, we don't have enough time, we just haven't studied. He says this, hypocrites. See, that is actually pushing the issue forward a little bit more. Because you might say, yeah, I don't have conviction. I just, you know, I've studied all these things, but I haven't studied that. He actually says, no, it's deeper than that. It's not just that you know the weather, but you don't know this, and it's just kind of a mental issue. It's a heart issue. He calls it hypocrisy. He says that it's hypocrisy because, listen, if we are willfully ignorant and decide not to study and not to develop convictions, what happens is this. We are still in control. We're still in control. And I would want you to just explore this. Maybe the reason that you haven't pushed into, what does the Bible really say about this? Maybe the reason you haven't actually grappled with how deep are my convictions is because it's easier for you to just be in control and do what you want to do. Instead of saying, I know and I am submitted to what God has said. That's why he calls it hypocrisy. Because it's more than just ignorance. It's allowing ourselves to be in control, allowing ourselves freedom instead of loyalty to him. So first thing is this, living with conviction looks like deepening our conviction in him, which is why Jesus says it really starts, the whole thing really starts, if you want to live with conviction, it really starts with settling with Jesus. That's what this whole image with the judges, make an effort to settle with him on the way. It, It pictures this story of two people in some sort of disagreement and they're about to go to the judge, and if it's not settled beforehand, when they get to the judge, the guilty person, which represents us in the story, will go to prison, and they will not get out until they've paid every single last penny. So make an effort to settle with him on the way, which is telling us that we need to settle with Jesus. We have, and you might not feel like this, but we have a dispute with God. We have a debt with God. We have a debt with him. Our sin has created a debt. We are actually hostile to God. That is the state that we are in pre-settling with Jesus. And the time is limited. Your life is the time that you are on the way 
either to prison or along the way, settling it with him. Our time is limited. And either us or him is ultimately in control. The image is us having an opportunity to settle with Jesus. And so the question is, have you settled with him? Have you settled? Have you said, I don't want to be in control anymore. I want you to be in control. I need, and it's amazing too, because if this person owed a giant debt, the settling along the way would require actually forgiveness. And that is what Jesus presents to us, is to say, it's not like you can pay me back along the road. That was the punishment. You will have to pay back every single penny. It's, It's not like you will be able to pay him back. The image is actually the Savior saying, I will forgive you. I will be gracious to you. We're, we're walking along in life, and Jesus is offering, I want to settle things with you before the end. I want to forgive you of your debt before the end. I want to make things right with you before the end. Now, have you settled with Jesus? If you're not a Christian, that's the question to answer. But if you are a Christian, then everything about living with conviction flows from this point. Because if you've settled with Jesus, if you've said, forgive me, be gracious to me, I want to align myself with you, I want you to have control instead of me having control, I don't want to be in a dispute anymore between me and you and who's right and, and who should do this, and who's, I, I want to settle. If you're a Christian, then that decision has been made and that's been settled between you and him, which means then, if that's true, then the next thing he says is, or the first thing he said prefacing it was, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Which is, if you've settled with him, if you've already settled with him, and things are already right between you, and you've already surrendered to his judgment and his goodness and his grace, if that has happened, then we begin to live like this, where we are judging for ourselves what is right. And that don't, don't hear that in our modern context of, yeah, so do what you want. He's saying, if you've already settled with the judge, if you've already understood that Jesus is the one that divides, then based on that knowledge, based on that understanding, then you know what's right. You know what to do. If Jesus is the judge of the world and he has divided and loyalty to him matters above all else, and if you've settled with him, then based on that, judge what's right. Based on that, align yourself with him and do what is right, which is really what it means to live with conviction. It means that just because others approve of our choices, that doesn't mean they're right. It means just because others tell us that this is wrong, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It means just because others say, yeah, that's right, go ahead. It doesn't mean that it's right. It means that we must judge what he says is right not based on ourself, not based on popular opinion, not being based on the right side of history, not based on just kind of the, the masses, but asking him to rule our thoughts, to rule our hearts, to govern us, to be our judge. To live with conviction means you take all of that knowledge and then say, okay, I'm gonna judge what's right based on that, based on him. And if we do that, here's what it means. It means we're embracing division. It means that ultimately, to live with conviction means you've settled with him. It means that then based on settling with him, 
and already having decided in your heart, he's the one, then you confront every decision with, with that grid, which ultimately means you have to embrace division. Because if Jesus creates division and you are aligning with him, you have to embrace division. You have to embrace that you cannot choose peace or being liked over him. We can't choose peace and being liked over him. And yet I think we're faced with those decisions all the time. You're probably tempted to those things all the time. It means that we are willing to be known, willing to say, yes, here's what my beliefs are, willing to say, yes, I'm a Christian, willing to stand up in the classroom and say, I'm a Christian, that's what defines me. And when everyone sits down, not to say, that wasn't my card, that must have been a mistake. But to say, yes, that is who I am. That is what I believe. Willing to embrace division, to be honest about church and your commitments and your involvement and your convictions. Willing to have Jesus be first in your life when it comes to time and money. And I don't just mean that in general, but I mean that when, when other people question that. Why would you do that? Why would, you, why would you commit to that? Why would you spend time doing that? Man, that seems like a lot. But willing to embrace the division, even among family members, is what Jesus particularly calls out. It means not acting okay with sin. Some people are sinning around us all the time, and so often it's just easy to go, oh, okay, cool. And I'm not saying we stand up with signs condemning people, but I'm just talking about conversations that you're having with people. I'm just talking about normal, everyday conversations where people say things, and because we don't want to be offensive, we just kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when I uh, was a bartender and waiter, all the time the conversation was, oh, man, look at that girl. She's so blah, 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 and I would blah, 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 blah. And I would have to constantly not just go, yeah, 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 which would be the easy thing to do. But to say, man, I'm, I'm just not interested in having that conversation. Or something along those lines. And I'm, that's just a small little thing, right? But I'm, I'm trying to help you see this is happening all the time in our life. Where people are presenting their views, their sin, and it's easy to just go along with it. One instance of that is gossip. People come to you and share something with you about somebody else. That's what gossip is. When people share something with you, that shows another person in a poor light. Whether it's true or false, it doesn't matter. And we don't want to be the one that risks being liked by them or thought, oh, get on your high, mighty horse, and instead say, you know what? You really should talk to them about, I don't really think we should be talking about this. That takes standing on your convictions. That takes being bold. That takes doing what's right and confronting someone else with their sin. I know people in the past, not, not, I'm not trying to you know, talk about someone in particular in a you know, subtweet kind of way, but in the past, there's been people in our church that to not offend someone else have gone to other religious practices and done meditation where they're inviting spirits to come speak to them because they didn't want to offend that person. And if some of you, that might sound really crazy, but that's actually happened multiple times in our church because we live in Denver and that stuff is happening all around us. There's a, a, a witch shop 
right on my, like, two blocks from me. I drive by it all the way, all the time, coming to my house. So all of this stuff is happening all the time. So I, that's just, you know, for some of you, you're like, what is he talking about? Others, probably that resonates. And you know, you've had friends invite you to come do certain meditative practices and certain things. And it's good for your health. And it's blah, 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 blah. And try these crystals and try this, these angels and et cetera, et cetera. But to actually say, actually, no, I don't believe that. I think that's wrong. I don't need those spirits. I have the Holy Spirit. Those kinds of things. When it comes to alcohol, when it comes to sexuality, all of these kinds of things. And by the way, when I just, just to clarify, when I say alcohol, I mean it's easy to be with friends that are, come on, have another one, come on, it's just, it's fine, come on. That's what I mean. All of these choices to live with conviction means we've settled with Jesus. And then we're judging what's right based on that. And then not prizing peace over him. We're embracing division because we're embracing loyalty to the one that has divided. And I'll say this too. It doesn't mean your opinions. It doesn't mean your particular cause. It doesn't just mean your particular viewpoint. I'm talking about matters of faith. I'm talking about matters of the Bible. I'm not saying we should divide over all sorts of other things. I am talking about Jesus, what he speaks into our life. Finally, what builds our ability to live with this kind of conviction? Your, your convictions matter. Your convictions matter. Jesus wants to build them in us. He wants to give us deeply rooted convictions. What builds it? Because it's hard, right? I've tried to give you lots of examples so that you can kind of find yourself in there somewhere, whether that's tensions with friends or tensions with family or tensions at work or school. What can build us, bolster our conviction? What, what can do that for us? Because it is hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard to be the one individual standing against the tanks. It's hard to stand up for someone else in court knowing that you will be convicted yourself. It's hard to be a, a young woman standing up in a classroom with all your peers sitting down. That is hard. Not saying it's easy. What builds our conviction? And really this is the, the last thing I want us to see that I think can help you, that, that helps me when I think about these things. And it's seeing how Jesus followed his convictions and stood in his convictions, not just on principle, but for you and me. Look, look what Jesus said at the beginning of this. He said, I have a baptism to undergo and how it consumes me until it is finished. Now, Jesus was already baptized by John the Baptist. That's not what he's talking about. This language of baptism can often refer to suffering because if you think about suffering and how it just washes over you. Jesus is talking about the cross. He's talking about, I am about to be drenched in suffering. I am about to have the full weight. Jesus didn't just come to bring fire on the earth, which is judgment. But he came to be actually consumed by God's judgment for us on our behalf. He came to be drenched in the waters of suffering for you and I. And Jesus says, I'm going to do this until it's finished and it consumes me. 
I love that he says that because he's not just saying, yep, I've got a plan. I'm going to do it. I'm God. I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to be okay. Three days, da-da-da, Easter, people celebrate with Easter egg hunts. That's not what he's saying. He says, it consumes me. He's saying, I feel the emotional pressure and tension of this. I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm, I'm weighted by this. I know what it's going to cost me. I know what it's going to do to me physically, emotionally, spiritually. I know the torrents of the flood of suffering and judgment that are going to come upon me. It consumes me. And I'm going to finish it. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to let the tanks roll over me for you. I'm going to be wrongly convicted for you. I'm going to live my life fighting for what is right until my dying breath for you. I'm going to do this for you. You see, Jesus did this for us. He stood with conviction for us. And we can use that on our hearts when you're in a moment. When you're in a moment and you're feeling the tension of being liked and peace versus being loyal to our king. You can remind yourself, Jesus stood for me, and he didn't just stand. He was steamrolled for me. Jesus was willing to do this for me, so God, use that to build courage in my heart to stand for you. Use that to build courage in my heart to speak for you. Use that to build courage in my heart to be honest for you. Use that to build courage in my heart. We can ask him to remind us of this truth that he was Suffering consumed with for us. When we take communion, that's what we're remembering. We're remembering his body was broken, that his blood was shed for us, that he stood and died with conviction for you and I. He did that to save us. He did that to settle the debt along the way for us. So as we take communion, I want to encourage you to just pray a couple things. Maybe you need to confess. Communion is always a great time to confess where we've been too peaceful. Listen, my, my goal today is not to get everyone like feisty and mean. But maybe we need to confess we've been too peaceful. We've wanted peace more than Jesus. We need to maybe confess those things. Maybe you need to pray for, not just in general, but maybe you have specific things going on in your life right now. At school, at work, with family, with friends, and, and you need to ask for specific courage to stand with conviction. Pray these things. We need conviction. It's hard. But as we see him for us, we can live with conviction. We can do what he calls us to do, seeing how he did it for us. Your life matters. Your conviction matters. Take time. Pray. Thank him for what he has done for us. If anyone needs prayer for anything, healing, boldness, be in the back, and I would love to pray for you during our last few songs. God, I thank you that you speak your word to us. And even where some of this might be hard or challenging, 
I thank you that you give truth to us. I thank you, God, that you are a God that speaks truth to us, that you uh, stood, Jesus, in your convictions for us, but you do continually today. You're not just interested in amassing a bunch of followers and so soft-pedaling. You speak truth, Jesus, today to us. I thank you for that. Help us to live in that conviction. Thank you that your conviction saved us. May we be grateful and thankful and live accordingly. Amen.